Thank you, Kelly. And you've had a great example of why your investments in College Park Church has an impact from Lebanon to Brookside, from uh, uh, COVID relief that we've been doing here locally to also just having a Sunday morning service like this so that you can gather with us here or also online to worship together. So thanks for your generosity, thanks for giving, and uh, we're thankful that we get to partner together to help advance the cause of Christ in the city and around the world. So it's great to be together today on this Lord's Day. We need Sundays, don't we? Sundays are important, Sundays are essential, so thanks for tuning in. Take your Bible, let's go to James 1.26. We've already read the scripture today. I wanna read it again. And as you're um, turning there, tonight at 5, we're going to do one of the things that we do as a church every year, uh, which is our annual sort of congregational meeting. It's part of our also monthly rhythm of praying together. So tonight we'll gather to pray and receive updates on just kind of where we are as a church uh, we'll um, ask for your affirmation of some elders, some that are renewing, some that are new, some deacons, and uh, also just we're going to talk a little bit about what are some of the lessons that we're learning during this season as a church, both in terms of our membership and also just, man, it's just a hard season. One lesson, just to give you a little example, you know, relationships are really important. They're essential to the church, but they're really hard, especially when it's online worship or digital or it's a mega church with multi-services. And we've seen relationships really struggle during this season. And so we're gonna talk about what we're gonna continue to do to try and help lean into that. So that's one example of a number of things that we'll talk about tonight. So if you're a member, we'd love to have you um, tune in online or uh, also come here on site at five o'clock. Also non-members, you're welcome to come to the meeting here in person at five this evening. So James 1.26, here's the passage that we're in today. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Whew. And all God's people said, whoo, right? <laughs> it's gonna be a text. Maybe you've had this happen before, where you hear a conversation, and you're pretty sure the person who's talking, even though you don't know them, is a Christian. A couple years ago, I was watching the news and there was a press conference with a law enforcement official in our city. And as he was talking and the way he was talking and what he was saying, I said to my wife, I think that guy's a Christian. She's like, really? I said, I do. So I called his office, set up an appointment just to get to know him a little bit. And uh, we had lunch together and then I heard his story and sure enough, he's a follower of Jesus. I was super encouraged, and I tried to exhort him and told him as a, as a brother in Christ, like, I just knew you were a Christian by the way you handled yourself. So be encouraged with that. Keep going. Maybe you're in line somewhere or you're at a restaurant. Of course, you would never eavesdrop on someone else's conversation, but those people were talking really loudly, right? And so you heard, and you're like, you know... I think that family are followers of Jesus just by the way they're conducting themselves. Or maybe there's a new employee that comes to your business and just by the way that she talks and the way that she engages in challenging situations, you haven't talked about faith, but you know she's a Christian. Maybe you've also had the reverse happen. Ooh, this is not, hap this is not good. Where somebody that's kind of in your relationship sphere claims to be a follower of Jesus but you wouldn't have thought that by the way that they talked. And then one day they tell people, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you're like, rats, I wish you wouldn't have told anybody, <laughs> right? Or maybe you're listening today and you're not yet a Christian. And one of the reasons you haven't yet put your trust in Christ is because you know Christians 
who talk in a way that just doesn't fit with what they claim to believe. And when you look at that, you're just like, that's not right. And here's what I tell you. You're right. That isn't right. In fact, that's what James 1.26 is all about. James 1.26 is gonna press on something that we all need to think about. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we especially need to think about, which is this that careless words create a worthless religion. Careless words create a worthless religion. And in the same way that we saw last week where James connects faith with works, this week he dials it even deeper and gets even a little more personal with actually how we talk. And what he wants us to see is that there's a direct connection not only between faith and works, but there's a direct line between our words and what we claim to believe. So today in James 1.26, what we're gonna look at is see this first critical connection between our words and what we believe. And secondly, we're gonna run into this sort of frightful and scary conclusion that James draws about self-deception and worthless religion. And then finally, I wanna make some, some applications. I wanna do justice to this text because it's a heavy one and James is writing to a group of people who are feeling the weight of hardship and persecution and he knows what you and I know, that when the press is on, we're tempted to say things that maybe normally we wouldn't say or we'd have the demeanor or the resistance to not verbalize. And James wants us to see first here this critical connection in verse 26, it begins with a scenario for us to consider. James says, if a man thinks he is religious, if a man thinks, that word think is uh, rendered as consider in another translation, the NIV, the, the idea is someone who not just thinks of themselves as religious, but like not really a good religious person, meaning they, they know that they're trying to pursue spirituality, but that they're trying to grow imperfectly as it is. James has in mind the kind of person who talks about their faith, who talks about their religion with a level of definitiveness that might sound like this. Oh, for sure I'm a Christian. Of course I am. But yet there's this problem. Notice that James says, if anyone thinks he is religious, isn't it interesting that James chooses that word? I mean, he has a lot of words that he could choose from. He could say, if a man thinks he's righteous, if a man thinks he's godly, if a man thinks he's mature, if a man thinks he's spiritual, but he doesn't choose any of those words. No, he chooses a word that is more connected to formal faith and more related to a system of belief. Perhaps you've heard people in your sphere say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And what they're trying to say in that is, I have things that I believe, but I don't buy into like everything that that belief tells me that I'm supposed to believe or I'm supposed to do. Now, why is that? Because religion, by definition, connects not only what you believe, but also what it is that you obey or do. So to be religious means that I have a set of beliefs, but it's also connected to rules, laws, a set of standards, the way the word religious was used even in the day in which James was writing, it was used just for that kind of act. It's related not only to worship, but actually the acts of worship. The idea is that there's affection, what you love, and action. 
I trust that you know that whatever the heart loves, it worships, and whatever the heart worships, it obeys. So James is not interested in people who are spiritual, who claim to be spiritual but not religious. No, he is saying, look, when you claim to believe something, when you claim to be a Christian, there needs to be a direct line between your Christianity and how you talk. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue and, or but, but deceives his heart, we'll pick up the word deceive in a moment in the second point. What James is concerned about is the person who claims to be religious. I'm a Christian, but their mouth doesn't show it. He'll go on to say that that person actually is self-deceived and Worse, their religion is worthless. So think with me for a moment. Why does James call out speaking? I mean, there's all kinds of things that he could lay on the table. He could talk about sexual ethics or other more noticeable sin issues or things that would even seem to be a bigger deal. Well, one of the reasons that James calls this out is because the way we talk is pervasive. We talk a lot. In fact, if someone isn't talking, we kind of assume that something's wrong. What's wrong? You seem kind of quiet. So talking is just a part of what human beings do. And the second reason is because our words are powerful, even more so than what we realize at times. Which is why James says, bridle his tongue. He could have said control, but he uses bridle, and bridle, of course, is connected to the control of a horse. A useful animal, but if you're not careful, you could get kicked in the head. Horse can be dangerous. And in fact, what James is also doing is highlighting a text that will come upon next year in James chapter three. So take your Bible, just turn a page over. Let me just show you a few things from James chapter three. I don't wanna unpack this text in full, but just so you know kind of where he's going, this is a hint of what is yet to come. So just newsflash, if you don't like 126, you're not gonna like chapter three. Because <laughs> it's like James is warming you up. Like this is, the, this is the softball pitch. He's gonna be throwing strikes at 90 miles an hour in 2021 through James 3, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we all um, know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In other words, teachers use more words than most people. My goodness, I don't know how many words I've used in my lifetime. It's gonna be probably by the time I'm dead, a million words. Every sermon is uh, about four to 5,000 words. And the more words you use, the more you're judged by what you say. It makes sense. He then says, verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to bride his, bridle his whole body. So usually there's a connection between a man who's disciplined with his words, who's disciplined in other areas as well. The reverse is also often true. Find a person who's not very disciplined in what they say, you'll find a person who has other areas where discipline in their life spiritually is also lacking. And then he talks about... Um, Bits in the mouths of horses in verse three, ships with little rudders, forest fires in verse five and six that are set ablaze by just a little spark. The point is this, small things create big effects. 
And then the key verse is verse nine, where he says, but with it, our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So blessing, I'm worshiping, praising God, and also cursing people with the same mouth. James says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. In other words, what he's saying is that doesn't make sense. That's not right. So if you're not a Christian yet, and you're like, Christians shouldn't talk this way, you're right. It's painfully obvious. The challenge from the words of Jesus is that the things that we say, actually, they don't come out of nowhere, they come out of our heart. Jesus said the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. That's Luke 6, 45. What's sad is that when we say something and we're like, oh, I can't believe that I said that, and you're embarrassed, the fact of the matter is, is we're embarrassed about the thing that we said out loud. If people knew all the things that we were tempted to say, now that would really be embarrassing. Our hearts are awful factories of awful things that we could say. And praise God that we, when we restrain our words, that's good. But the fact of the matter is, in our restraint, before we pat ourselves on the back, we ought to realize, whew, you don't know what else is in there. You know, there's an important truth that we just need to grab a hold of, especially during the day and age in which we live. I, I think I've said this before, but I don't think 2020 is going to be known as the year of self-controlled speech. <laughs> On the contrary, I'm telling you, I've been alive for a little bit, um, been a pastor for a couple decades. I've never seen a year like 2020 with more ungodly, slanderous, gossip speech. It's just awful. In fact, I'm a little nervous, to be honest with you, with what the result is going to be about the reputation of Christianity when all of this is through. I think we just need to take a pause and just go, you know, I think we can do better, all of us. Because it's tempting when we're frustrated to say things that just feel good in the moment, but mm, that's not helpful. I have to, can I talk about social media for a second? I mean, you're already there, right? You're like, is he gonna talk about it? Yes, I am. I mean, this, this is just, it's just everywhere, right, on social media. And so what I thought I would do today is just do a little experiment. And what, I've, uh, what I want to do is I'm going to hook up my phone to our screens here for a moment. And what I've done, I'm going to go on Facebook, and I've selected some of our church members. And let's just look at a moment at what some of our church members said last week, okay? <laughs> Guys, go ahead and... No, I'm not going to do that, okay? So. Now, the reason that there's a nervous laughter is you know that would be a rabbit hole of all rabbit holes. The fact of the matter is you'd be embarrassed, some of us, with what would be on that screen. And yet that screen is what the whole world sees. Kevin DeYoung has an interesting article that he wrote last week entitled, When You Say Nothing At All. He suggests that as it relates to what we communicate, especially online, that we ought to ask ourselves a couple penetrating questions. Here's one. Am I making it harder for all sorts of people to hear what I have to say about more important matters? Two, is my online persona making it harder for my in-person friends to want to be around me? It's <laughs> a great question. Third, am I speaking on matters upon which I have no special knowledge and for which no one really needs my opinion? <laughs> am I more animated, last question, by what I'm reading in scripture or by what I'm seeing on the news and in social media? 
and some great thoughts. He says, he says this, brothers and sisters, it's okay to have an unarticulated thought. It's okay to go about our lives with quiet worship and obedience. It's okay to do your homework, read your Bible, raise your kids, and make your private thoughts your prayers instead of your posts. Some of you are feeling really good right now because you don't have a social media account. You're like, yes, ducked it, you know? No, you can't. Because you still write emails, you still send texts, you talk on the phone, the tone of your voice, the level of your impatience, the constant criticism. I mean, come on, come on, be honest. The slander, the gossip, the angry words, the careless words, the defensive words, the abusive words. And you know they don't fit with what it means to be a Christian. This verse is actually a gift for you and me. It's a reminder, oh yeah, that's right. Real Christians connect what they believe with how they talk. But it's crazy how quickly we forget that. James wants us to ask, what's the connection between what you believe and what you say? Actions matter, words matter. Faith and works are connected. Real religion and our words are linked. That's his point. All right, then he comes to a bit of a frightening conclusion. James says that this kind of person, the person who disconnects what they believe and what they say, deceives his own heart and their religion is worthless. Man. The fact of the matter is, the more we understand about God's word, the more we understand about spiritual things, the more sober assessment of ourselves we ought to have. So this text ideally should land on you with man, not with man, I hope so-and-so is listening, but rather, I need to hear this. It's a realization that God is holy and I am not. James talks about self-deception. Again, he's, he's reminding these people who are suffering that it's possible to operate in a way where you think this doesn't apply to you, where because you're hearing a truth, you think that therefore you're living the truth. In the same way that we saw last week, this connection that needs to be made between faith and works, so too James wants us to be sure that we're connecting what we believe with what we say, and if we don't, the problem can be one of self-deception. Maybe you know somebody who's really passionate in terms of their belief in Jesus, but also really passionate with saying wrong things, sinful things. It's crazy, sometimes this happens. The person is super, super in love with Jesus, sings robustly, carries a big Bible, loves to exhort people about the value of the scriptures. But he's also really unkind with his words. Yells at his kids, says things that are hurtful, speaks in a way that doesn't build people up. He may even call himself more prophetic or maybe a discernment kind of a person. What's crazy, happens all the time, is that some of the most pious people can also be the most nasty with their words. How does that happen? There's probably a lot of reasons, but one reason is underneath their religion is actually not the worship of God, it's the worship of self. It's this danger of allowing spiritual things not to shape us, 
but using religion in order to shape what other people think about us. As a result, our worship can be not actually oriented toward God, it can in fact be toward selfish gain. So James, while writing to these hurting people, wants them to know that in the midst of your trial, remember that what you say matters. He wants us to remember that the pressure of life and circumstances can be an easy justifier for conduct that doesn't fit with the gospel. Now, listen to me. It doesn't mean that you're never going to make a mistake in this area. James isn't calling you. I'm not calling you to some sort of sinless perfectionism. But I am reminding you that what you say really matters. Because what can happen is that you can begin to talk in a way and no one checks you on it and you begin to talk more and more and more and you begin to normalize that behavior. You don't have a good friend that calls you out and says, hey, like you can't talk like that. Worse, what happens is you start to attract other people that talk like you and pretty soon you got a group of people who all talk the same and then you've not only normalized that behavior, you've actually formed a little group that has now this culture of sinful, unhelpful, ungodly words. And yet the Bible is full of examples of really significant cautions about how we talk and what we say. I'll give you a couple examples. I put this in the New Living Translation, 2 Timothy 2, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Have you ever seen it, that godless behavior is amplified by ungodly talk? This spreads like cancer. Or 1 Peter 4, if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder or stealing or making trouble or prying into other people's affairs. Isn't it interesting that Paul lists like prying into other people's affairs, like right next to stealing and murder <laughs> because it's that big of a deal. And then he says, fire goes out, or Proverbs says rather, fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. You see, the, the challenge is, is that how we talk and the way we communicate, it's really easy to justify it because of the pressure, because of what other people do. And the problem is, if we're not careful, that behavior becomes so normalized that we don't even know we do it anymore. And a great disconnect happens between what we claim to believe and what we say. James then draws this conclusion, not only is he self-deceived, but the possibility here is that this person's religion is worthless. Wow worthless. The word means empty, foolish, vain, futile, fruitless. It's, it means it doesn't work. I mean, James, in effect, says, if what you believe about Jesus doesn't affect how you talk, like, what's the deal? Because it has to affect at least that area in your life, because that's one of the ways in which Christ takes control, because the heart has been transformed, and as a result, the mouth has been changed. In fact, to act in a way that's contrary to the gospel with how we talk is to fall back into a pattern that, quite frankly, is very characteristic of those who don't claim to be Christians. Two verses as an example, Ephesians 4, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That's the same idea. The emptiness. Romans 1 for though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So James is pastorally concerned about a religion that doesn't work with our words. He would go so far as to say 
that if there is a great disconnect between what you believe and how you talk, something is terribly wrong. That kind of religion not only doesn't work, it's worthless. Sinful words can create a self-deceived people for whom their religion actually doesn't work. Can't you wait for chapter three? It's gonna be amazing, right? Mm. But don't we need to hear this? Let me give you a few applications. I know this is a heavy text. I know that talking about how we talk can be a challenging thing. There's a lot on the line here. Let me give you three emotional reactions to this passage. You just kind of decide where you are. First would be to be stunned. Maybe you're stunned right now because this verse has been like an arrow to your heart. Got you. Graciously, kindly, God in his wonderful mercy to you has put this text right here in front of you after what happened last week. And it's a mercy so that you didn't go further. Maybe you're here and you're not yet a Christian and you're realizing that, like that belief about Christians who don't talk the way that they should, I just legitimized it. And rather than feeling self-justified, you've come to realize, you know what? But I got issues. And maybe you need a savior who could transform your heart from the inside out, not just clean you so that you can have the right words, but actually have a new Lord and a new master to forgive you of your sins, cleanse you, and make you new. Because Jesus is so transforming that he changes everything, including how we talk, because he fundamentally alters what we love. Maybe you're stunned. Secondly, maybe you hear this text and quite frankly, you're a little scared. Maybe you're one of those Christians that you know that your faith is genuine, but you also know that one of the ways that the devil gets into your life is by this propensity to say things that don't fit with what you claim to believe. You know. It's not that this text is stunning, but it is that it lands on you in a way because you know that your latent anger, your frustration, and all the justifications that you give, you know that those are wrong, and in some way this last week you've allowed them to get the better of you, and when you hear James 1:26, rather than being like, wow, I hadn't thought of that before, your thought is, I could do that. I could easily separate what I say from what I believe. And so if you find yourself there, you need to know there's, there's grace for believers who hear James 1.26 and say, oh God, help me. Please, help me. So there's those who are stunned, those who are scared. Here's the third group, those who are seared. This is people, a person, who's become good at resisting a message like this. You deflect by thinking of other people who this text really applies to. You have reasons for why you say what you say. Or, in comparison to other people, you would say that you're doing pretty well 
And what you end up doing is developing a little bit of a spiritual callus such that you become accustomed to hearing a text like James 1.26 and then by not doing anything about it, by not doing anything about it, it becomes easier and easier and easier to continue to not do anything about it. And if by chance, God by his spirit breaks through that callous and says, you need to listen. Wow, you need to thank God for the grace of that. Embrace that beautiful conviction and turn from a heart that would be inclined to push away the truth of God's word. So for those who are stunned, those who are scared, and those who are seared, there is an unbelievable level of grace. Why would God put something like this in the Bible? Well, one, because he's holy. Two, because he loves us. And three, because the witness of Christ is on the line. Because you don't want to be the guy that in the restaurant or in your place of work or wherever it is that you are operating in, that when you say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, for people to go, really? <laughs> really? I had no idea. Or to have people hear, yeah, I'm a Christian up front, and then hear you talk, and they're like, really? That's how Christians talk? Because if that thing happens continually and that sort of uh, message gets out, it serves as a barrier for future people coming to receive Christ because why would they want that? After all, that's how everybody operates. Jesus calls Christians to have a different kind of posture, a different kind of behavior. He calls us to have words that are unique in the world. You know why? because he's redeemed us from the inside out. And James's message is simply this, when the pressure comes on, be careful about careless words because careless words create a worthless religion. Be careful with the words that we use because Jesus has transformed the heart. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that your word now would land on hearts ready to receive the gracious but clear caution from the scriptures. Lord, the extent to which that my words have been faithful to what this text is saying and that James is trying to communicate, would you let that just land and create really helpful spiritual growth? Lord, for Christians who, under the press of so many circumstances in their homes or in our marriages or in our relationships with our roommates, with coworkers, Lord, there's all kinds of opportunities to speak in a way that's just not helpful or right or godly. So would you make us the kind of people whose speech is seasoned with grace, especially when we're under pressure, especially when we're misunderstood, especially when we feel angry. And Lord, for those moments that are gonna come this week, we are believing you're gonna give us grace to help us. Lord, for those things that last week that we said that were wrong, we repent, we ask your forgiveness, believing that you can cleanse us and help us to walk anew. And Lord, for those today who are hearing this and are not yet Christians, would you let today be the day where they put their faith and trust in Christ? 
thank you that they have a perfect savior that they can follow, even though Christians, by definition, aren't perfect. So Lord, help us in the midst of challenging days to have words that are careful because our religion, our relationship with you, it means something. It's powerful. It's transforming. It changes us. Let me pray this in Christ's name. Amen.